What is up? Welcome in episode two of the week. Javier Haas, Elliot Lane here with Cannabis Insider, episode five million and two. Thrilled everybody's here. We are going to do something similar to last Thursday. Javier, you missed it. You weren't cool enough. Uh, we had two amazing guests on last Thursday and we went right into the interviews. Uh, today, we have the CEO of Tilt Holdings joining us, Tim Condor. Thrilled to have Tim with us. Then we have Really cool friends of Benzinga. Thrilled to have them back. Steve Miles and Rebecca Hawkinson of Sharp Capital Advisors. It's going to be a great show. We're going to hear a lot about what's happening in the cannabis industry today, how companies are returning to profitability, M&A, equity v. debt. Lots to chat about. Stick around. Let's get started. Javi, 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 Javi. We're What's in the back up? of the man. We talked about it on Tuesday, but pretty solid quarter, man. Right? Pretty decent. Pretty Honestly, solid. I mean, comparatively. Come a on. little bit of everything. It's a mixed bag, but for sure better than we what we were seeing in the prior quarters of this Take year. the win, Javi. Take the wins when you can get them in this industry. We had a good quarter. Live in it. What are you, what are you looking at, Javi? I mean, we had air report this morning. That was a nice earnings report. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And honestly, I'm 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 pretty pleased with with most of the of the earnings reports. Uh, Air was was a, a good one. They they had um pretty good gross profit growth uh, as well. Um, honestly, yep. it's, it's you know even adjusted EBITDA was positive, uh, almost thirty million dollars. Good you margins. That's that's what I was that's where I was going. I feel like margins. That that's the big word and keyword of Q two. Margins. Everybody loves margins for Verano, for GTI, for Air, for Ascend. Margins have improved, it seems. But there's a lot of themes in every earnings report. But just another one. It does seem like people are starting to figure it out a little bit. Indeed. What's interesting, though, is you know if you look at inflation trends in America, most products are being affected by inflation, from gas to food, and and, and yet cannabis is is one of the few products going down in in, in pricing, right? Uh, what does that mean for consumption? What does it mean for sales? You know, and how are companies uh, increasing their margins if the price is going down, right? It's, it's through operational efficiencies generally, right? Yeah. You see facility sales. You do see, unfortunately, cutting of employees. Or you, you really did. That was earlier in the year. Those were really headlines from, I feel like, February through May. Um, you haven't seen as much of that during the summer. But we, we saw a lot of cost cutting. I would say Q4 to mm -hmm. Q1, uh, but it does seem like it's working. Uh, I mean, yeah. it does seem like to be moving in the right direction. We grew a little you too know, quickly. Remember we, we were talking about Canopy, you know, reducing $1 billion of debt. Today, they sold their Hershey facility for $53 million Canadian. They're continuing to move toward an asset light strategy, right? It's all Another about USA, movie. baby. All about Canopy USA. Jefferies, Owen Bennett, analyst at Jefferies, is just like, listen. Yeah, we're all living in Canopy USA land right now. Uh, yeah, it is up 12%, speaking of cost cutting. Um, but if they do make the move into the USA, I mean, that's a they immediately become a leader, like almost immediately uh, with the brands side of things. But, Javi, yeah. let, let, let's wrap it up, man. Let's, let's get a few quick rapid-fire headlines, and let's move to people who are way cooler than us. Sure. In Ohio, people will be voting for to use cannabis in November 
this could actually have a huge impact in the entire country. Go to Benzinga.com slash cannabis after the show to find out how. Also, NBA All-Star Dwayne Wade is launching his cannabis line with Cheater. And Benzinga exclusive. Actress, cannabis industry veteran Gloria Govan will be leading a $100 million real estate lending firm uh, named Alta Number Two. Alta Number, was, what was Alta Number One? Is it Alta Financial? Uh, like is it like, fund. Oh, this is okay. Okay. That was weird. Uh, <laughs> well, good for Gloria. Uh, all that said, y'all. <laughs> Let's move to our first guest. We have Tim Condor, CEO of Tilt Holdings on the OTC TLLTF. Mm, jam out to that all day long. Tim, what's up, my friend? Welcome in. How are you? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, glad to have you. Tilt's been a long time a stock that I've followed in this industry. So it's always lovely to talk to C-suites of this company. You've been in the news a lot lately, but I really want to back up a little bit and just learn about you. Tell us a little bit about your backstory, like how you got into cannabis. I know you've been around for a bit. Uh, so just tell us a little bit about you, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, pr I appreciate starting there. So I've been in cannabis since 2015 in the regulated market in Nevada, where the medical market launched you know, in 2015 and then uh, adult use in 2017. Prior to that, my background was I owned a bicycle messenger service in San Francisco on the East Coast and then ultimately in Reno, Nevada. And in 2015, we saw the opportunity to pivot that company into cannabis distribution, which we did and uh, uh, founded a company called Blackbird, which um, oh, yeah. we sold to Tilt in 2019. I bought back from Tilt in 2020 and then sold to Herbal in 2021 um, and, and stepped away from that company last September. So, you know, I've been on the board of directors of Tilt since our since our company was acquired in 2019. And so had sort of a front row seat to the company from inception until today and, you know, was excited to have an opportunity to step into this interim CEO role really to sort of evolve the strategy and continue to move the business forward. But yeah, that's kind of my, uh, that's the long and the short of it for me as it relates to cannabis. So lots of experience on the supply chain side. Blackbird was also a pretty prolific technology company. So experience there. And then um, on the plant touching side through Tilt. Just one follow-up before Javi jumps yep. in, because I know you have a ton of questions, but I'm just curious, how do you view Tilt Holdings? Tilt Holdings is a, I mean, we've had it described on the show many times as a pick and shovel MSO to other yeah. MSOs. You know, there's a lot of different ways to talk about tilt holdings, but how do you view the company? I mean, I think that's what sort of this like assessment period has been about since I took the role on a little over 100 days ago is really evaluating what's working and what's not, because I think like the strategy has been sort of loosely defined. You know, people have thought of it as sort of an amalgamation of assets in disparate in certain ways and so how to tie those together to to really create like a flywheel for the for the overall company has been a challenge to date and that's something that we're working to resolve because we believe and i believe that you know the companies that we have in our portfolio today really do support one another's growth and with a focus on a certain type of product segment and a certain type of brand partner you know we can really sort of grow the business that is already pretty large and um, really into new markets and go deeper in the markets we currently serve. 
You know, I, I got two questions. One, you know, let, let, let's stay on tilt for a second. One of the things that you said during the the, the earnings call, the recent early earnings call I had, you said you, you would want to have like a stronger focus in cash management to achieve profitability and cash flow generation. Uh, can you elaborate on this, what it means yeah. and, and, and how you will be achieving this? Absolutely. So, you know, as we sort of talked about in our Q2 two earnings, it was a return to adjusted EBITDA profitability. But our our long term focus is on you know net operating cash flow and then growing our business from our own from from our own cash on hand. And so you know we've had to make a lot of hard decisions over the past couple of quarters as it relates to really what you guys sort of mentioned at the beginning of the show operational right sizing, um, sort of evaluating opportunities um, or programs that we have initiated to see if they're actually going to return what we sort of need them to return, um, our portfolio of brands, sort of taking a look at really everything on the expense side of the business, you know, to ensure that like we're allocating capital to the right places within the business so that we can grow responsibly. You know, and I, and I got to ask a hard question for this week, and it's, you know, uh, what, you know, Tilt's decision to drop some of its social equity brands. Can you explain what happened and what the rationale behind that was? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, you know, the, the, the uh, social equity didn't play into that decision. You know, the decision was primarily about Tilt's capability set. Some of the brands that we have determined will ultimately wind down are newer emerging brands. And our business isn't set up perfectly to support those brands in the way that they need at the outset of their sort of their brand launches, right? Like we're more positioned to help establish brands grow into new markets. And so, you know, that was uh, the lion's share of the calculus is, are we going to be able to support these brands in the way that they deserve to be supported and the way that they need to be supported to see the growth that they're trying to achieve? And then the sort of second and in factor that went into that is, you know, we need the right product assortment to be able to be effective in our in distribution, right, through our, our different channels, whether that's wholesale or our own retail environments. And unfortunately, we have a lot of overlap in certain categories. And so, you know, that's unfair to our brand partners and it's unfair to our channel partners and doesn't make us as effective from a distribution standpoint as we need to be to be the best partner to the brands on our platform. Gotcha. Um, okay. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on earnings. Um, obviously, we're, we're a little bit removed now, you know, yeah. so I think we've been able to see it, but it seemed decently positive, your report. I'd love to hear about maybe, you know, how we got there and maybe what's next. Yeah. So you're, we're starting to see some, some, of the, some of the right sizing flow through into our financial statements, but we haven't realized that entirely. We will in the back half of the year and into Q1 of next year. So you're starting to see some of this sort of hard work that we've done and some of these hard decisions kind of flow through into financials. Um, but there's still a lot more work to do. I think, as I mentioned, you know, it's a nice milestone to return to adjusted EBITDA profitability, but ultimately, you know, a return to net operating cash, positive net operating cash flow is our focus and our long-term goal. And so that's what we hope we'll sort of see over subsequent quarters. Um, 
there was a pretty sub substantive write down of sort of aged inventory. And so I think that was, you know, kind of a negative aspect for earnings, but one that we needed to take that we don't anticipate taking in the future to that degree, because we are building in, you know, better for sort of operational SOPs to ensure that like, you know, we don't have sort of standing aging product. So those are kind of the highlights from the quarter. I think, you know, um, still looking to grow revenue, but like I've talked about, grow revenue responsibly and profitably. Um, and that's going to be our focus along with some of these efficiency measures in the back half of the year. Got, you know, one, one last one to close it up. And it, it goes back to, to the initial question that Elliot asked about your, your story, right? I was, uh, I was very interested in understanding better uh, the, the move with Blackbird, how you sold it, bought it, and sold it again, right? Like, what what's that about? Like, what, what's what's the rationale again behind this? And and you know, trying to understand better, like the the, the M and A um, yeah. situation in cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so that that situation transpired over years, right? And I think originally at the outset of Tilt, there was a different vision that the founding team had for Tilt, right? Like this ancillary pick and shovel play with sort of this cash generating plant touching arm of the business. But it was much more sort of like a conglomerate than a, a lot of sort of pieces acting together to grow a larger pie. Um, and so, you know, as the initial sort of leadership and vision transitioned and evolved, Blackbird no longer entirely made sense to that story. Um, and it was also a cash consumptive business. It was a emerging technology business and that needed to scale and needed a lot of investment to do so until it was not in a position at the time to support those needs. And so, you know, luckily I was in a position to buy the company back on a note from Tilt and try and sort of like make that work best, not just for Blackbird as a company, but for the Tilt stakeholders as well. Um, and so, you know, the decision to sell to Herbal was one that came post Reacquire, acquiring Blackbird back from Tilt, um, and really this like belief in distribution as uh, you know an important part of the supply chain, and you know Herbal and Blackbird had sort of different takes on distribution. Blackbird much more in line with Nabis sort of three PL perspective, and then Herbal really classic three tier distributor doing sales and marketing on behalf of a sort of select number of exclusive brands, and I thought it was interesting to marry those things together, right, to really serve you know uh, a brand as they sort of wanted to be serviced, right? Whether they just needed the 3PL aspect of logistics or if they wanted a full suite of distribution. And so that's why at the time that uh, merger between Blackbird and Herbal made sense. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. I am looking forward to seeing the strategy as we move throughout the year, obviously working from a financial sense and looking forward to seeing how Tilt grows under your leadership uh, and the new direction. So really thanks to you, uh, Tim. Thanks to our good friend, Lynn. Really appreciate you both. And we will talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. All right. Javi, that was great, man. Uh, it's really nice to kind of get Tim on. We've had Gary on previously a bunch. We've had a bunch of Tilt yep. reps on a bunch. Nice to hear from Tim and, and where they're going. Does seem like shareholders Ooh, should be no somewhat ideas. pretty pleased. Yeah. Indeed. That said, Javi, we're going to keep going, man. We're, we're going to keep it rolling great. here. Some great financial minds are joining us. We got Steve Miles, Rebecca Hawkinson from Sharp Capital Advisors. Aaron Thomas, bring him on.
There they are. There they are. How are my friends today? Hello, Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Hello, Good Abby. To, Hi, Abby. Uh, good to see y'all. Javi had to close a window. He oh, told me, he's like, listen, there's a big storm here. I got to close the window. I'm going to ditch <laughs> you guys. Just kidding. He, he'll be right back. That said, welcome back. Y'all have had a lot of moves, I feel like, since we've last had Steve on and, and Colin. Uh, you know, you guys have been doing a good bit. So tell us, just catch us up. Where's Sharp Capital today? We are in West Palm Beach, Florida. We've relocated our lives and our, our um, corporate office down here to Florida. I don't blame you. Very, very yeah. sunny. <laughs> yeah. So, Indeed. yeah. So, last time we talked to y'all, let's just jump right in. You know, we were talking about, you know, private companies, talking about Missouri. Uh, and it, uh, Steve, I got to say, man, you called that ish. You called that real well. Missouri is, is pumping it out. Maryland's looking good. Talk to us yeah. about what you're excited about. Yeah, well, yeah, Missouri has been a, a a bright spot for sure, and thank you for for remembering that I that I called that out. You called it real good. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's it's you know it's like that uh, one great golf shot I hit every uh, eighteen holes that I play that, that keeps me coming back, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and Maryland too, you know. There's there's obviously some some pockets of the industry that you, you see doing quite well and 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 the reasons are are obvious but but yeah i, I think you know generally uh you know we remain uh what's the word optimistic yeah in some ways you know optimistic uh, about you know the, the long-term uh viability of the industry i mean we look at michigan for instance and you know are just blown away uh by the the the, the numbers that the state is is producing i think last month they did $275 million, you know. Yeah, they surpassed the alcohol consumption in the state for 2022. Now, mind you, I mean, it's, it's, it's wow. by all reports, a, a tough state in which to operate. Not a lot of people are making money. There, there's been a lot of, of issues, but, but you have seen some return to, uh, you know, a stabilization in, in the wholesale pricing and, and other things that you could start to, uh, get excited about, but the sheer size of it is is really amazing. Uh, you know, that's a that's a over a th well over a three billion dollar annualized run rate. If you were to extrapolate that, that's ten million people versus three hundred seventy million people. That's a far larger U.S. industry than than people were thinking a while ago. And I think it yeah. has to do with uh, the the efficacy of the product and, and the uh, consumption the, the consumption rates when it's made available and made available at a price that's within striking range of the black market price. I'm curious as to what's your take on M&A since you, you, you're you very focused on mergers and acquisitions, right? And and, and we've seen a little bit of a deceleration in the past year. Uh, what, what do you foresee for, for you know, the, the near future, let's say for the remainder of the year and for next year, right? What what do you think will happen in the M&A space? Will consolidation continue or what, what, which path are we on? Well, I think what we see right now is, uh, you know, uh, largely distressed sales. You know, um, very, very small deals get, can maybe get done. I mean, a single dispensary or a couple dispensaries where it's, where it's strategic and and somebody can pay with you know twenty five percent down and the rest in a combination of of notes and other uh, you know securities, but but when they start to get larger than that or or require a, a, a larger cash downstroke than that, 
they're nearly impossible to, to, to trade because there really aren't buyers for them. And so no company that's mm-hmm. doing well, first of all, should even consider trading. I don't know why they would, but no company that's doing well could be acquired. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we, of course, we, I think have said, we have the thesis that one of the solutions to the, to the industry's wo- woes is, is, is consolidation and uh, rationalization of assets and elimination of, of, of redundant back office and all the things that you see as an industry matures, but but it's very hard because the the the, the buyers, the presumptive buyers, the big MSOs, they're they're too uh, they're too levered uh, to have any available capital, and and they're too their stocks yeah. are eaten up to to be a currency that anybody would accept or that they would want to use. And and there's also a complete and total valuation. Nobody knows what the value of these assets are or how to value them. There is no accepted methodology even just now and it's good to see and and elliot as you pointed out and javi as you asked uh your last guest yeah it's good to see that people are starting to say oh golly we better start figuring out how to generate some real life cash flow out of these things because there is no more available sources of capital otherwise we now have to earn it right we have to get there uh, I, I, I still think there's a lot of noise about, you know, the, in the numbers about how they're presenting it and, and really trying hard to make it look like there are cash flows. It should be pretty cut and dried. But but uh, but, you know, that that's once you, we the only valuation you could begin to consider in this industry that would have any reasonable expectation of being close is a discounted cash flow of, of the after tax projected earnings of an enterprise. And, uh, and 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 that's there's not a lot that you know that have enough history there to really you know build that model. You know, kind of the same question as hobbies, but also on the tail end of yours here um, about financing, right? About you know how's financing going? But if these cannabis companies say nothing happens legislatively, we get nothing uh, from Washington D.C. If they do start to make money on a consistent basis, if it's uh, if it is something that uh, we do see balance sheets improve. We do see them making money. Will investors jump back in without legislative help? Or is that too optimistic? So I think, Elliot, yeah, I think so. Optimistic. You know, uh, the, the returns are too, you know, are, are really just too out of whack. We, we see now pricing in the debt markets for even what I would consider to be grade A credits in the 15 to 20% all-in yield range. And so, I, yes, I think... Once the market can establish that that's an attractive risk-adjusted yield, then then there will be more money that comes in regardless of legislative action. But right now, you can't even establish that it's an above-market risk-adjusted yield because there have been so many failures, right? <laughs> they're they're yeah. not. Oh, it's not like most of them are doing okay. You know, <laughs> it's like most of them actually are not doing okay, and and so they can't support this leverage. In light of a 280e tax regime, you know you really can't because by the time you have to, if you're growing, you have your capex, then you have your tax, then you have your interest charges, which also are not tax deductible. The bank also wants their money back over some reasonable period of time. There's just not that's not achievable. But for those markets that for a period of time have dramatically overpriced wholesale flower markets due to early uh, lack of supply, like Missouri. Missouri, uh, thankfully for Missouri, it had taken its prices down dramatically due to undersupply. 
oversupply, excuse me, in the medical market. And now it has undersupply, but it's it's having it's not able just to whip it right back up there. It's it's, it's moving up there slowly. And by the time it gets there, there'll be additional supply because people are building out and hopefully you won't have the same roller coaster severity. No, I got a question for Rebecca. Maybe um, what what is the uh, what is your take on like international markets, right? Since it, it's you know a little bit of, of of the American market seems like doom and gloom for a bit. Uh, we're yeah. still trying to figure out what's going to happen. Like, are you looking at international markets? Do you hold bigger hopes for them? Yeah. So we actually had a client that was in the UK. Um, we tried to do a Series A for them. Um, they, we actually invested alongside of them as well, but they had, you know, pockets of investments in various countries throughout Europe and was really hoping on Germany to be, you know, the ex explosive market since Germany's rules came out, not, really not in favor of outside cultivators. Um, I think the market kind of just went on hold. I think the, the excitement of Germany kind of dissipated. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a slow it's a slow growth there. I think that, you know, it's going to be a long time until someplace like the UK really has a medical program that's comparable to like Florida with it, that has over 800,000 patients. Um, it's, it's a slow growth there. I think it's still kind of viewed as um, a sin, not necessarily medicine. So mm -hmm. I think we're a long ways away from um, a medical market there comparing to a US medical market. Interesting. So uh, looking back, maybe on a different opportunity here, let's say we get schedule three. Are you all at all nervous about that's effects on recreational cannabis in the US and anybody you work with in terms of how that could change particular structure of the industry? In terms of uh, interstate commerce? Uh, in terms of, you know, pharmaceuticals in terms of, yes, in terms of 280E goes away, that's a positive, but obviously adult use, you know, it, I would say under a schedule three, it is more medicinally favorable uh, in terms of how they view it uh, on a pharmaceutical level, on a, a um, on a distribution level. I'm curious, do you think any States will do anything that would, um, you know, hinder recreational cannabis? Or, or it, maybe this would be how new markets come on would be under a schedule three viewpoint that is more I, medicinally favorable. I would think that, that, that would be the case, right? Elliot? We have not had this discussion with our clients and I, I don't, it's not really on their, their radar because I think most have given up all hope of, of any <laughs> legislative movement one way <laughs> or another. And certainly about parsing, you know, which pieces of it would be beneficial and which pieces of it would be detrimental uh so, so uh but yeah i think what you're saying is exactly right if there were some overarching you know federal uh position that it was a, a medicine uh new markets like in the southeast specifically right you would think that's how they would uh be structured yeah um but that's that's an interesting question well it's kind of like a we'll see moment <laughs> all yeah. we can do is speculate at this point yeah yeah, it's 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 some of those things I thought when we first got into this industry, I thought we would be living in those realities right now, you know, that mm -hmm. that this yeah. was so that everything was was close. And even at my old age, I was that naive to believe that things happen quickly or that the, the snowball had started rolling. But mm -hmm. it, it seems now that we're just as far away as we ever were. 
<laughs> really what, what, but I, but what we do view as positive, in addition to what I said before about, you know, the the market, the demand side of the equation, which is always critical, is that, you know, these new states are rolling out, and, and to some degree, you think they're learning from the net positives of negatives of the way other states have rolled out. Although I don't know, New Jersey, where we're doing work right now, would be an example of one that everybody thought was a the Holy Land and, you know, nothing's really <laughs> operational there because of this disaster of a local rule. Uh, but you hope that the state regulatory structures uh, continue to get better or it's done via, you know, legislative action. I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, ballot. Ba- ballot initiative. And uh, and then also, though, because of th- this new discipline is good for the industry, right? This new discipline, the in- in- unavailability oh, yeah. of capital is a positive. Because you shouldn't be spending money willy-nilly. You shouldn't be bu- building $50 million indoor grows to, to grow 30,000 uh, pounds of weed, right? You should not be doing that. Nobody should give you money for that. It doesn't matter if the wholesale price of marijuana happens to be 5000 you know, a pound. It won't be Because forever. it's going to go down <laughs> to the equilibrium price. And, you know, that's too much to spend to, to grow yeah. indoor. And it's just, it's it's, and so... That's a positive. That means that the new, the new generation of, of managers, the new generation of investors, you know, the, the guys that are buying these assets now out of these for sale uh, Article Nine and otherwise. I mean, they're buying these things for twenty cents on the dollar. Okay, now you can mm-hmm. start to believe that you could get a reasonable return on capital whilst selling selling marijuana at a price at which the consumer will buy it. <laughs> yeah, That's no, the it, figure. It, it, it makes perfect sense. Honestly, what, <laughs> yesterday we did an article, you know, based on our last uh, Benzinga conference in, in Miami. And Emily Paxa said something like, you know, in the early days, the hype driven capital was wasted. It wasn't well allocated and uh, built things that were not sustainable. We can only learn from this, right? You know, <laughs> right. All, it, this kind of, of approach to, okay, you know, now we've, we've, we've ground ourselves, right? Now we're, we're Finally, a realistic industry, something that is viable. Right. Yeah, I, that, that's exactly right. And and, uh, and then I, and again, I, I, there's a much larger universe of U.S. consumers that want to buy the stuff legally than would ever buy the stuff illegally, right? And if you make it accessible and in cool form factors and lab tested and at the right price, 100%. the consumption is like this, right? hundred percent. You know, I have one more question here. Um, and it's really about the future uh, of how these states are structured and how the industry is structured, um, you know, state to state. And, and I understand like there's some potential for state run models. I'm not sure if that's actually viable or not in New Hampshire and Pennsylvania and discussion about that. But when it comes to the, the people who aren't going to run state model, state run models, is it really viable to continue to have such limited license structures or will it need to open up someday and let competition and capitalism take hold? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, which, which, which states would you consider to be, you know, hyper limited, like a, a, in Illinois, you know, with, with 21 <laughs> mega cultivators, but they gave Illinois, Mar- Maryland as it comes on now. Um, very, very, you know, New York, I would say is currently just a shit show, but oh, okay. <laughs> very limited at first. 
New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think they'll they'll continue. I mean, I would imagine would be my guess is that so long as these things are under state control, and once the markets get, uh, you know, up and a little bit established, the first thing they immediately do is turn to these SCAs, right? We give away the SCAs. We got to take care of the SCAs. We got to take care of the SCAs. Of course, we all know they're not taking care of the SCAs, right? This very rarely does this. I've, I've not seen yet. An example held out of, a, of an SEA who, who owns his business and is just out there, you know, benefiting from, from this whole thing. And I hope there are. I pray that there are. There should be. But but that's what they do. Right. Then they start throwing and, and, they'll, and they'll keep doing that. And they'll, they'll convince themselves that they're doing something to the benefit of social equity. And they'll convince themselves that they're promoting uh, capitalism mm-hmm. and competition inside of the marketplace. What we have found is that it really. You know, and it's particularly right now, uh, you, how, how do you find the money to open those? Well, you turn to the guys that you were trying to com- create competition around in the first place. One of the few things they can't afford, right? <laughs> a few nipples to get uh, control of a source of distribution for their own yeah. operation, really. Uh, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean, I don't know. No, that's where it comes it. down to at the end of the day is this high cost of entry. And I think that's part of my question yeah. is, yeah. I mean, look at Florida, just how, how are $200,000 for a license? Um, well, what's a yeah, license it's in Florida, right? You have to be vertical to be a real player. Mm-hmm. You'd have to have 35 or 40 stores. That's $50 million to have be vertical. You'd have to have a grow that could support those. That's another $30 million. It's a hundred million dollars to come in and just get your teeth handed to you by True Leaf and GTI and Verano, <laughs> right? Yeah. Zero Leaf. And I mean, it's, it's yeah. really like, who's going to do that? <laughs> there, are 70, there were 74 applications for the 22 new licenses that are supposed to be issued at the end of this year. So there, there are still a lot of people that want to get into this market, but I think they're of questionable value. You know, the plan, there, there's other there's MSOs right now who have effectively effectively inactive, you know, vertical licenses that they would sell out of. It's just a very hmm. it's a great state we all know, right? And it's gonna we live down here, uh, and it's it's gonna be huge. There's 180 million tourists or whatever. A true adult use market uh, will be great, but it's just it is like you said, Elliot. I mean that is a really, really, really big price but, tag but to be a, a, a player. Let's Holy. compare Michigan to Illinois. Michigan was unlimited. Their numbers continue to go through the roof. Illinois has been limited. It's kind of been stagnant for, for the past mm-hmm. six months or so. So, you know, at one point people said that there are way too many cultivators in Michigan while people continue to make money there. So, you know. And in Illinois, operators are pulling back uh, the size of their growth. You know, it's interesting. I, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and they basically said, we actually don't have enough retail in California. We actually don't oh, service please. the majority of the state. Well, that's yeah. for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, how can there be five, how many retailers in Michigan? Uh, 600? 700. Uh, right. I think there should be, four, they, I've always heard there should be 4,000 retailers in California at least. Yeah. Like it's an, it's an interesting time right now that I feel like, uh, I feel like this industry's halted a bit. It, it is. And, we were saying earlier that, uh, when we were at your conference, when you had, uh, Boris up there last year and he said, what, what you at somebody asked him, what's going to happen if safe doesn't pass. And he said, it's going to be a nuclear winter for the industry. He couldn't have nailed it more spot on. That's exactly what we're in. There's complete and total. Yeah. For, for, we're frozen. We're in a frozen tundra. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't make a move. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very hard. We ran, some, 
some assets out of, of, of these distress situations. And there, there no, no deal is a slam dunk. There is no nothing you would look at and say, oh, wow, now this one, man, oh, man, this was a <laughs> no-brainer, right? Every right. single one of them. Just good day farm. (laughs) 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 That's the only one. Yeah, exactly. They don't even need money. They're just chilling. They're just making money. But, you know, Steve, Rebecca, we're at the end of our time here. It's been a very insightful conversation. It's just we're all in a bit of a waiting game right now, but we're all doing the best we can to get through it. And I feel like a lot of companies are moving in the right direction, um, albeit we have a good bit of ways to go. So always appreciate your insights. Uh, and thank you all so much for your time. Nice to see you guys. Thanks, and guys. As always. See Thanks you soon. All. Talk to you Bye. soon. Thanks. Bye. I mean, Javi, what's your take, man? Are we in a nuclear Super winter? Or are we halted? Is growth uh, I, I, I would say limbo purgatory. It's just to just just wait. Weather the, the weather storm the storm. Weather the storm in Argentina. On the other side. <laughs> Amen. Man, it's raining. Wow. You have hey, your no internet's holding strong. Your- I need some of that Argentinian internet is what I need. <laughs> Terry, Adazia, Jose, Chadwick, uh, Heath, always appreciate everybody tuning in. It, it truly is uh, a time when we all have to come together, maybe unify our voice a little bit more. Uh, but please network with each other in our chat. I love to see that. Uh, Heath, you're always here. Uh, best of luck to you and your launch man. Inner Journey Limited. Uh, from a, a Dazi or a Daisy. Apologies if I said that wrong. But Javier, finish us off, man. The Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference is coming to the former headquarters of Shark Capital Advisors, Chicago. It's the city, <laughs> the windy city. Uh, it's September 27th. Agenda's 28. killer. Y'all, oh check God. it out. BZCannabis.com. Two governors. That every major operator in the space but we are also trying to bring in some up-and-comers as well your good day farms your c3 industries we got can accord uh we got uh all the current oh, analysts for the most part uh speaking talking about their perse- perspective of the space come and learn come and network come and grow your business bzcannabis.com for all your news throughout the day benzinga.com slash cannabis tune in every morning five minutes for your morning headlines benzinga cannabis daily and with that said I believe we are out. Thanks again. We'll be back Tuesday at 1 Eastern time. Same bad place, same bad channel. Until then, have a great weekend. Peace.